Welcome to show 101. Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio Show 101. Today's show is sponsored by Candace Hunter Creations. Candace Hunter Creations, where you can come and learn to be a family herbalist. And Occupy Medical. Occupy Medical, where healthcare is truly a human right. We are a street medicine clinic and we are always accepting donations. Go to occupy-medical.org. And Hunter Creation, where their motto is, yes, they can do that, from graphic design and website design to website hosting. Let them know what you need, and they'll say, yes, we can do that, or yes, they can do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, big news, I guess. Um, well, not big news, but um, we have big news. You guys, in a month and a half, six weeks at this point, you'll be doing what? We'll be going to the American Herbalist Guild Symposium in Silverton, Oregon, and we're going to be talking about, we'll be giving a class on bringing herbalism out of the broom closet. Yeah. And if you can't make it to Silverton, Oregon, and you happen to be in the Eugene Springfield area, watch for Candace and Sue possibly giving some dry runs of that speech prior to that. So we'll let you know if we know on their website or on Facebook if they're going to be somewhere doing that speech if you can't make it to Silverton. Uh, the other thing is Facebook. We have over 3,000 people on our Facebook group which is really great. So if you are into herbs and herbalism and into Facebook, by all means, like us so we can get you all the skinny on herbs. That's right. We have a good diversity of little articles on there and some of them are just silly videos. And (laughs) it's really fun to populate that site with fun stuff just related to health and healing and, and herbs. Yes. And if you're out cooking or doing herbalism yourself or homesteading and you are on Instagram, make sure to share those pictures or tag those pictures with hashtag the practical herbalist. We have hundreds of images appearing now on that feed. It's really fun to see everyone doing that stuff. And uh, YouTube, if you're a big YouTuber and you like herbalism and and YouTube, we have a we have a, a YouTube channel. We have a lot of videos on that YouTube yeah, channel. We we do. We have herbal gifts, and then the herb of the month is on there, and people are really liking that. So mm-hmm. we're getting uh, trees of Mount Pisgah. Yes, the, if you want to do a tree walk uh, from the fall of uh, it was a year ago, a couple years ago, uh, you do a full on tree tour yes. of of uh, fall in Mount Pisgah, which is really mm-hmm. great. Uh, this show is interesting. We had. Um, it was kind of fun. We had some uh, two herbalists come in and gave us all their knowledge on um, our uh, 101 questions. And this being show 101, we thought it appropriate to tie the two together. So without further ado, here your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Hey, Sue, this is show 101. 101. And did you notice the big, giant stack of herbal 101 questions we have? Yes. Every time I see it growing, it makes me a little sad inside. I know. You look like you're crying. I am. I'm crying. I thought maybe it would be a good idea to answer a few of those questions. Yeah, that would be nice. And we have some wonderful guests with us today to help out. Yes, welcome. First off, let's welcome Rebecca Harbour, licensed acupuncturist. Hello. Thanks for having me. And this is Wendy Hansel registered nurse and registered herbalist through the through the herbal american herbal american Herbal. 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 Yeah. it's new to me apparently <laughs> yeah, hi thanks for having me so thank you both so much for coming and helping us answer this crazy stack because it's it's actually it's gotten overwhelming <laughs> you're so welcome the first one i wanted to start off with was a very simple question from brian and he says what is the best wild plant for protein what do you guys think Wild plant for protein. Nettles. Nettles. Yes. 
<laughs> that was going to be one of the ones I thought of. What about you, Rebecca? Um, you know, we don't we don't talk too much about uh, nu- nutrition facts in the Chinese medicine world. Um, but uh, azuki bean is is one of our Chinese herbs that in Amateria Medica. So um, I don't know how wild it is, but um, it does have uh, 17 grams of protein in one cup of cooked azuki bean. So wow, nice. pretty impressive. And then uh, we also use Job's Tears um, as an herb. Oh, really? Yeah. I and know that is a house plant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and that has a, a good source of protein as well as iron. When you use that one, what do you often use it for? What types of... Um, it's heralded as the, the top choice for acne, actually. It has a good pus-reducing mm. ability. So, mm-hmm. that's what I generally prescribe it for. Nice. So, yeah. like hormonal-related acne or... Um, yeah, like especially the kind that, you know, comes to the gross, nasty heads. And, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the one. The total teen <laughs> neck acne. Yes, exactly. <laughs> wow. So what about you have some idea of using nettle? Oh, right. I do. So um, nettle is one of my very favorite plants. I use it um, a lot for allergy. Well, I usually use it just as like a general tonic. But one of the reasons why it's so good is because it's just like an herbal superfood, right? You know, Mm -hmm. it's got like all these vitamins and trace minerals in it as well as being one of the highest plants in protein. Um, but one of my favorite ways to use it is to make a black nettle syrup, which we're big fans of at Occupy Medical. Yes, We've we done are. a lot of um, work with black nettle syrup, and it's basically like a really strong nettle decoction. Um, and de- when you decoct the nettle, um, it, um, it really brings out a lot of the minerals um, and things in it. Um, and so you do like a really, really strong decoction and then, um, stir in a bunch of, um, uh, blackstrap molasses. That's the, that's the black part. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's a sweet part. And it's also uh, really high in iron. Um, and put a little bit of peppermint, like a couple of drops of peppermint essential oil in it or peppermint spirits you could use. Um, and, it just makes uh, a really amazing syrup that's really delicious and it's really easy. It's really, it's really easy to take. So it's awesome for people who uh, don't, who are kind of picky or it's hard to get them to take herbs because of the flavor, but the black nettle syrup is, um, is really easy to get down. And so we kind of just, when we have it at Occupy Medical, we just, we go, we go right through it. Yeah. So what is it? Love it. What is it that you use it for? Which conditions are your like favorites for that one? Um, Allergies, it's a really good way to get, because we like to use nettles on a tonic basis to help, um, with strengthen the mucous membranes for in time for allergy season. So that's a really awesome way, um, to get people to take nettles every day because especially with our population at Occupy Medical, a lot of people don't have a place to make tea or, right. um, you know, other ways like cooking it, you know, or anything like that. So, um, they can just have it in a bottle and take some of it, a couple of tablespoons or something like every day. Nice. And yeah, that's it. And, and then also like anemia, it's really awesome for, um, that makes just sense. kind of general deficient states. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking a really tasty meal would be some azuki beans with on rice with some like nettle for the seasoning oh, yeah. or some fresh nettle. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That sound good. And you could maybe seasoning. make a syrup topping with like a little bit of molasses and some soy sauce. And- I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm blanking on the name of this, um, seasoning, but what's, what's the, um, it's like a Japanese seasoning and it's got ground up, uh, sesame seeds 
and, and it's spices in it. No, it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a spice What's mix spicy? type of thing that you pinch and you put it on. Oh, I can't remember. Oh man, that's exactly anyway. Know. But it sounds but, really but, tasty you know. though. But nettles, <laughs> I've I've, yeah. I've heard some of my friends have made a spice mixture with sesame with, seeds and yeah. and how like ground up nettles. Yeah, like fresh powdered nettles or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that sounds like that would taste really yeah, good. That yeah, that would be good on those edzuki beans. I think. That would be good. Mm-hmm. What do you think, guys? New dinner plan tonight. Okay. There you go. <laughs> uh-huh. Thank you, Brian, for a wonderful question there. Um, Sue, I think you have a I question. Have the next one. Yes. Um, this is from, this was from Catherine and Catherine asks, I'm interested in herbal ways to reduce cholesterol. Pharmaceutical drugs, statins can reduce cholesterol are completely unsafe. And I would like to hear some healthy alternatives. Well, let's see, I guess I'll start because actually, um, one of the herbs we use is, uh, red yeast rice, which contains statins. Um, so there's been some research, uh, specifically on the statin component of red yeast rice, um, which has been eaten as a food and medicinal food, um, in China for centuries. Mm -hmm. Um, and they've really honed in on, on the statin specifically, but there have been studies that there's more to the red yeast rice that, that reduces cholesterol and more research needs to be done there. Um, but there's other ways to approach it as well. Um, the liver helps eliminate excess cholesterol, so we can use um, herbs that work on the liver, uh, such as cassia seed and goji berry, actually. Oh, nice. I love goji berries. Yeah, goji berries are delicious as well. Yeah. Um, and then hawthorn berry has also been shown to um, enhance the, the breakdown of the bad type of cholesterol um, by the liver and decrease the synthesis of it. So that's another way you can go. Even garlic has an effect to, to lower cholesterol to an extent. Um, and then you can also go with uh, seaweed and kelp. They help reduce, uh, they help eliminate phlegm. Um, and phlegm in Chinese medicine is a much broader concept than just, you know, what comes out of your nose. <laughs> um, it can be uh, also uh, interpreted as the buildup of plaque in the arteries, so atherosclerosis. Um, so yeah, different different way of looking at things, and yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, so I used to be an herbalist down in New Orleans at um, a free clinic there, where we saw a lot of high cholesterol and um, a lot. So a lot of what we did was give um, fish oil, which is really actually really awesome to lower triglycerides. Um, and I saw amazing results. I saw people's triglycerides go from 600, which is astronomically high off the mm-hmm. roof, but I would see it all the time and then get them down to below 150 with 3000 milligrams of fish oil for every day for a couple of months. The only side effect that I ever noted from that was increased bruising, um, okay. because it is like a little bit of a blood thinner, right? And some people just can't tolerate yeah. Some people just hate that fish flavor and they can't, they can't handle it. Um, but I also, when I was down in New Orleans, I studied with a Southern folk herbalist, amazing, um, herbalist Phyllis Light. And I learned a lot about traditional, um, like mountain medicine from her and Southern folk herbalism. And I learned from her the remedy of using a uh, chickweed and black walnut hole mm, for together. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like um, a 50, 50, are you talking tincture? Mm-hmm. Yep. Tincture 50, 50. Um, and I, right now I'm not, 
I don't really remember the mechanism, but of course, like Rebecca said, you know, working with the liver is crucial. And, uh, so chickweed is one of those awesome, like spring green cleansing herbs that definitely work on the liver a lot. Um, and, uh, black walnuts kind of bitter too. So I'm not sure if that's maybe the mechanism that also the black walnut works on, but, um, I've heard of black that, walnut that's... as being a remedy for heart related conditions. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And yeah. So yeah, we, and, um, it, yeah, we, we had a lot of good, we did, did a lot of good work with those, those plant friends down there. So yeah, it's one of the, one of the things I always look to. Yeah. It seems like cholesterol, it's really like one of the key components is getting your digestive whole your whole digestive and toxin ridding systems in order exactly and i think that's one of the places where we can really look to like process over like you know cholesterol high cholesterol is just a symptom of it's inflammation you know. essentially yeah Unbalanced yeah it's, diet it's not like yeah. take a, take a pill to get a number down and then you're good you gotta mm-hmm. you know it's a symptom and you have to figure out what body imbalances are going on and yeah a lot of times it, it's all about inflammation yeah. so so yeah, it's it's rather than look at it as oh I have high cholesterol and I have to take something to get it down, you you should more likely be thinking I have high cholesterol. How can I get my I body back into balance and it'll yeah. take care of itself? What are the lifestyle and dietary changes I should just be making for exactly. life, not for right, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was an awesome question, Catherine. Thank you so much. I have another question here. We're just ticking them right off here. Um, this is from Sadaf, S-A-D-A-F. And Sadaf's question is, I recently looked into making my own oil of oregano as my mother has bountiful supply growing in her garden. And I'm going to kind of make this a little bit shorter. Um, but the process that they saw was, uh, to to be honest, it's, it's about making more of a... Um, botanical oil rather than an essential oil and they're now but she has a concern about botulism having learned that is a strong possibility with herbal oil infusions and is worried about uh, i'm worried that i may have to discard the oil i prepared could you advise me on this manner so it sounds like the real heart of the question is how do you know that you don't have an infection or botulism or something like that in the herbal oil you've made that sound about right? Yeah. They sanitized the glass jar mm-hmm. and then placed it in a water bath for 10 minutes, a standard canning technique. Sure. And the thing that they're looking at is they see a few air bubbles in the jar. So in my experience making herbal oils over many years, I rarely, I've rarely had one go bad. And I'm not – there's a couple of things that I think are, to, are responsible for them not going bad. But I also want to say that I also feel like – in all the oils I've made, I feel like more of them should have gone bad than they have. And I feel like it's a little bit of an alchemical process. I'm not really sure like why they don't go bad more often, but the ones that I have had go bad, it's incredibly obvious that they've gone bad. I open it up. So the smell is atrocious. If you smell your oil and it smells pretty good, like you want to smell it again, it's probably it's not bad it's just mm-hmm. not bad um and you know if anyone has anything else to add about botulism in particular i understand that sometimes you can't tell about botulism but i've never experienced like i mean granted most of the herbal oils i use um you know externally too but um yeah i've definitely had oils go bad it's definitely super obvious one of so 
the ways that I prevent them from going bad is when I'm, especially when fresh using fresh herbs and oil, you always want to make sure that all of your herb is completely underneath the oil. And it's hard because herbs float in Mm -hmm. oil. So you, so what I have is I, over the years, I've collected like several small rocks that kind of sit inside a jar, like small flat rocks. And I'll just, um, put the herbs in the oil and then I'll put the rock on top of it and just make sure that all of those herbs are completely underneath. And then every single day I take off the lid and wipe with the paper towel, all the condensation from the lid and from the, uh, the rims of the jar, like the sides of the jar that aren't, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that aren't getting... covered by oil so that I always eliminate all the water that I possibly can eliminate out of the jar. And, sense, yeah. um, I've kept them in the sun. I've kept them in the shade. I don't know. It's, if that matters much, but I, um, think either one, mm-hmm. it works. And, um, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Rebecca? Do you make many oils in Chinese medicine? Um, you know, I only had one class on, on external herbs in school. <laughs> um, and it was like eight weeks long or something. So I don't have a lot of experience with that, but what Wendy said sounds good. It makes sense. So I would, I would start with that. Yeah. So I used to work in the herb industry for a decade or so, and we made barrels and barrels and barrels of oil. And the things that would go bad for us is working with fresh comfrey, Hmm. a lot of water in it. Yeah. That was calendula too. Calendula. High water. um, Yeah. And it's musky anyway. Yeah. Calendula just smells musky. So we always had to keep an eye on that. And what we discovered is if you put cheesecloth, we would never can our our sauce, our, our oil. We would always just put a cheesecloth over it mm. and so the then will screw the lid up. on it, you know, without the just the, the ring part of it right. so that there was always a place for the moisture to get out. Oh. And then we'd check it all the time. And sometimes that, you know, oil and water don't mix, so it would separate. So we would use our little uh, pipette to pull some of that moisture out mm-hmm. and keep Makes it that sense. way. And that, that helped a lot, but... It was a, a big problem for us in the herbal field and in the industry because we're talking 55-gallon barrels of it at, at any given point, and that's an expensive thing to lose. So we const- we also had the lab there to, to keep checking it and checking it and putting a little bit of, to help uh, prevent spoilage, the things that you mentioned, but also putting a little bit of essential oil in it to mm-hmm. help as a preservative for some of those unpleasant ones. Yeah, I, I have, to my knowledge, I never had a dry herb mm-hmm. oil um, go bad on me. And the fresh ones, I prefer doing a little bit of heat to it because mm. that would help mm-hmm. take all of those. It's funny that you've mentioned comfrey because that's one, the last the one, one that I had go bad, a giant jar of com- yeah. fresh comfrey leaves. That was, no, and I was like, terrible. I never had these things go bad. Yeah. yeah. But that was the one. It's high moisture. The, um, the other thing that people put in is potassium sorbate. To keep it or vitamin E or vitamin E, Mm -hmm. rosemary antioxidant is a really good one. Mm. That's true, and you only need one to three percent. So you need a very small amount of rosemary antioxidant Mm -hmm. to help prevent oxidation, which is usually what is making most of them go bad. Yeah, and uh, keeping it a kind of a steady heat, I found to be yeah, steady helpful. low heat, a steady very low, low very low heat because it gets too high, and then you're losing all of your delightful botanical. Yeah, you don't um, want oils. to cook your herbs. Yeah, That's, you don't you want, want the volatile want oils to disappear. As you get, as you, as the heat goes up and you get into that cooking phase, that's where you're increasing the oxidation. Mm-hmm. And when you have more oxidation, then you open it up to cracking all the cells and opening things up to going bad. Yep, that's so. very true. So yeah, uh, if you're really all that worried about it, 
the smell will tell you. And if this person, um, if I'm reading this correctly, and I'm not assuming that I have, uh, if they if they've got some swelling on the seal, if they've canned for reals, which is again is brand new to me, then then you know how to go. Don't yeah. don't take any risks. Yeah. And it is sad to see things go, but it's worse to see a person go. Right. <laughs> so yeah. given the druthers. Yeah. yeah, I think if I was making a oil with oregano and extra virgin olive oil, I would first off, hopefully if I could, I would just let the oregano dry. So I'd make mm. bundles of it and let mm-hmm. it dry and then use the dried herb to make mm-hmm. my oil. But if I was too impatient, then I would use the heat method and it would definitely add a little bit of rosemary antioxidant or the vitamin E, mm-hmm. possibly an essential oil, yeah. depending on how I wanted to use it in the longer run. Yep. The other thing I'd like to mention is I, I know they are talking about oregano. Uh, most of the research out there is on the oregano essential oil for the UTIs, etc. And I know that, that oregano is one of those high volatile oils anyway, so it can lend easily into botanical oils. But uh, that would be something to look at. I don't know what what the intention is for this particular listener, but it would be it would be smart to kind of take a look at that and make sure you're matching the right um, the right form mm-hmm. to the to the right use, which is true for every one of our lovely herbs. So we have a couple of marketing questions too. Did you know that? Mm. Couple requests on products. Um, one of the questions was on. Um, did you guys? We want, should we read the question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So this is from this question was from Stephanie. Stephanie said or asked, "Good evening. I was wondering if the Pocket Herbal book would ever be put into print. I love that it's an ebook. That this is one that I'd like to have hands on as I walk around the neighborhood to help ID different plants. Thanks so much for all the great info you put out. I still listen to your podcast every chance I get." Well, thanks, Stephanie. That's an awesome question. And yes, that is one of my pet projects: trying to get my books, the books, the books. our books, our books, our yeah. books into print. Yeah. We we would love to see the pocket herbal in print. It's one of the ones that's actually on my top of my list. Um, I don't know yeah. if we'll do the, one of the herbal folios first, but... I don't know either. It's such a big project. And honestly, I, I kind of got a little discouraged when I talked to um, Maria Groves because she was talking about how it wasn't really a, a way to make money is to publish the books. You know, things have kind of changed a little bit. And yeah, the profit, I, the profit is pretty low. Yeah. And, the and work, I'm not doing this for, for, I mean, there are yeah. lots of snorts and giggles to be had, but I already have things I volunteer on. So I kind of like to figure out how to do it the right way. I think the difference with Maria's book though, that was from a large publisher. Yeah. The per book price for her would be a lot less because they upfronted a lot to her to, to do that. She had said, the difference with us is we would be self-publishing through like the Amazon self-publishing. Mm-hmm. So um, the actual margin would be much better for us if we could actually do it. So it's there. We, we should do it, I think, but we just, it's always a matter of time. Yeah. You know? So I think those of you out there who are interested in really seeing us get some published books out there, seeing the pocket herbal in print, please send us a line, say so on Facebook do something to encourage my team to say, yeah, we should invest in this ridiculously huge project that you've been harping on for about three years now that you haven't done yet. Cause but it's, I'm scared. it's huge. It's a huge project. <laughs> so, thank you very much, Stephanie. All right. We have another question here from Taylor and Taylor is asking us about, let's say, I'll just read it. This will be easier. How do you go about dealing with herbal controversies such as, the chorus calamus, which is sweet flag, and the acerone content, or the colophyllum 
This is a hard word for me. Sorry. Thelictrodes, uh-huh. which is blue cohosh, and using that in preg- pregnancy. With both of these, there's a long history of use without adverse effects. However, once Western science arose, there are also arose the restrictions and cautions and inevitably a controversy amongst herbalists. So how, what do you do in situations like these and what are your perspectives? Mm. <laughs> it's a tough one. Complex. Yeah. To me, this <laughs> seems like this is like the crossroads where science and traditional herbalism really start to get sparky. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, where scientific studies say, oh, this constituent or molecule in this plant could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you look at the thousands of years of that plant's been used. Yeah. So I think that um, science is awesome and there's good science and there's bad science and there's a lot of good science on herbs and there's some science on herbs that's not that good. So it's, I think it's beneficial for for everyone in, who's interested in this kind of thing to try to try to become as educated as you can about how to read science and scientific studies to where you can figure out if they're good or bad. Um, you know, herbalism and Western medicine work so differently. And, uh, you know, a lot, most of the scientists who are researching herbs are not educated in herbalism and they're not educated in how, um, how different it is. And as far as how in herbalism, everything's connected and it's, and it's, uh, it's kind of like the, the overall picture is more important than the tiny, tiny little pieces And in Western medicine. It's kind of flipped the other way. So it's hard for people educated in Western science to research herbal actions appropriately. Um, in addition, a lot of, I've definitely seen some cases, I can't, I just can't say a lot, but I've definitely seen, um, some cases where, you know, there's a study published about an herb and it's not the right herb. It's not the herb that scientists think it is, uh, or it's the wrong it's, part yeah, of the plant the yeah. or it's the wrong dose. I see that most or, often. Yeah. Or, or in any way, you know, it's not used in whatever way it's not used in the traditional way that it's been used. Yeah, and that's true for calamus. Yeah. I really can't speak to the, black ho- the blue cohosh situation, yes, but yeah. you know, it's true for a lot of, a lot of that stuff where, um, you know, they go like, Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't work. And it turns out, well, you're not using it at all. The way, the way that it's been traditionally used. Yeah, right. And, the, and a, another really great point that Paul Bergner makes a lot is that, you know, in herbalism, you've got, You've, you're given an herb, but what else are you doing? You're looking at food, you're looking at sleep, you're looking at all these different lifestyle things. And as herbalists, we know that all of these pieces are totally crucial. Right. And, and, and when, and when a lot of times when it's studied scientifically, all of those pieces are not there. It's only like, take 3,500 milligrams of X constituent that's found in this herb. Oh, it doesn't work. Oh, I guess the herb doesn't work. Well, you weren't doing all of those other things that are super crucial to make, to make it work. Right. So it's hard to study a holistic paradigm in a reductionist mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) Well, usually in Chinese medicine, you don't really use herbs as singles very often, do you? Not too often. Yeah. Usually in formulas, which I think speaks to Wendy's point a lot, um, that it is, you know, there's interactions happening between the herbs and, you know, plants are kind of like when I was learning herbs, they're they're like little people. They're like little personalities. Mm-hmm. They're not. Yeah, they're they they're not uh, simplistic, and and you know, there's more to them than, than what what you see. So, um, yeah. And I would just let's see. I would add that my personal experience with this is with ephedra. 
um, which we use actually for asthma. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had patients who rely on ephedra to be able to, you know, walk around the block. Um, they were not able to even do that without this herb. So it's essential and we've, we've fought the battle and so far ephedra is still in our scope of practice to prescribe and, um, but you know, we have to, we have to keep fighting, we have to keep educating and, um, explain to people, you know, what we use the herbs for. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I also want to make mention that this reader is talking about use in pregnancy. Well, what part, you know, for, yeah. I've been pregnant mm. multiple times. I'm really good at not anymore. Thank <laughs> oh. <laughs> the only time I ever used blue co-ash was at the part, point of birth. Right. You know, to help speed, preg- I, I, I certainly didn't need it at any other point. So when you were talking pregnancy, what what part? You wouldn't use the same herb timing. in the first three months it's than timing, you yeah. would when you're ready for delivery. Right. So there's some fairly broad spectrum terms that people throw around. And I've seen that in research as well as in traditional herbalists. Traditional herbalists have a lot, a lot of times thrown out, well, this is good antibacterial. Is it? Which bacteria? Is it broad spectrum or is it one side or, you know, there is a difference. You know, you, you can't make assumptions on anything you see from anywhere. You have to keep asking questions as you guys have pointed out. Yeah, good. So that is an excellent question, Taylor. And I think the answer boiled down comes down to you really need to do your research. Yep. Do a lot of research. Yeah. And we have learned this again. Thanks to Wakefield would be a good example. There is certainly bad science out there. There are poorly, poorly educated herbalists out there. There are poorly educated everything out there. And that we don't have an herb for that part of it. You just have to keep digging around. And I think uh, one more point about that is that um, the, the current state of like scientific funding is, a, is really abysmal because yeah. right. the, the scientists have to play a game in order to get funded. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times companies who want to get funding have to come up with certain results and it's just really difficult. It's, it's really sad because scientific process is pretty awesome and mm-hmm. um, it's, it's being muddied by politics and, and money and, money. and, money and yeah. profit because I mean, yeah. honestly, what pharmaceutical company wants to do a proper study on a whole herb, which they can't patent. Yeah. That's the problem. Unless they, they unless they find a way to patent it, which would be a disaster God for forbid. everyone. And they have. And they have. Yeah. They've done that. Shame on them, says I. Hunter Creation is a full-service graphic design studio. They offer design for print, like business cards, brochures, and large-format banners. They also offer design for web, specializing in self-hosted WordPress sites, e-commerce, and single-splash pages. To top it all off, they can get just about anything printed for you at amazing prices, whether or not they do the design work. Visit their site at huntercreation.com for more information. So uh, we have another question here, and this was from Ella. And she says, I am actually enrolled in school for my bachelor's degree in botany, and I plan to eventually focus my research on botanical medicine after graduate school. I have been fascinated with herbalism for years. I have a library full of books but I feel like my knowledge is lacking. Would you know of any other resources for me to expand my understanding? I love listening to your podcast, and I just thought you might know of more resources or study methods available that I can become more proficient in herbalism. Thank you so much. So she's asking for further tips on places to go for education and experience. You guys both. I would. (laughs) I can see you guys both like a (laughs) one. So... 
I would, Ella, um, start because you're in school and you probably don't have a lot of time for other school while you're in one type of school, but you could start going to herb conferences. And I think that's one of the most awesome, inspirational, educational things to do with your time if you like herbs. Because um, there, there's a ton of herb conferences and herb events all over the country all year long. And uh, every time I go to an herb conference, um, I come away and s- super inspired. I meet all kinds of amazing new people who are passionate and dedicated about herbs, all kinds of uh, really accomplished um, herbalists that I continuously learn from. Um, and there are too many to count. I I want to say that isn't doesn't Mason Hutchinson have yes, he a does. list? Can you herb talk about rally. that? Herb rally. I was herb hoping rally. you'd mention herb yeah. rally. Yeah. If you're looking mm-hmm. for good herbal conferences or other herbal events in your area, you want to check out Herb Rally. It's herbrally.com, I believe. Mm-hmm. And he's got a state-by-state listing of all the upcoming events and he updates it regularly. So Mason's like he's really connected in the herb world. He's really on it. And I mean, he's got everything listed from the little, the tiny little backyard side, almost conferences, all the way up to things like the American Herbalist Guild Symposium, which is coming up in October in Silverton, Oregon. I mean, he's got something that huge also. So yeah, it's an excellent place to look for events. Yeah. And then if once, once you start meeting people there, there are tons of amazing herb schools. I mean, it's a total renaissance for herb schools in the United States right now. Um, there's so many really accomplished herbalists who've either been running their own schools for many, many years or are just now starting them. Um, and it's a great, um, it's, it's going to have a last really real lasting impact on herbalism in the United States, mm-hmm. um, for years to come. And, um, I personally have, um, apprenticed I've gone to herb school through apprenticing with, um, many different herbalists and I think, I think that's one of the best ways to learn about herbalism and how to be an herbalist is to spend a lot of time uh, working with somebody who really knows what they're doing. And you can, you can facilitate that by meeting people at conferences. I think yeah. Actually. Yeah. What about Chinese herbs? Um, well, Chinese herbs are a different beast. They um, are. They are. And really, in order to understand Chinese herbs, you need to understand the language of Chinese medicine first. So actually, I would I would first recommend picking up, you know, a basics of Chinese medicine book. Um, our kind of classic textbook for first year Chinese medicine students is The Foundations of Chinese Medicine by Giovanni Macciocha. Um, and he gets a lot of flack for oversimplifying things, but you know, it's a foundations book. You, you kind of get what you ask for. So it's your 101, right? Yeah, it's I mean, your 101. Exactly. Um, and then as far as once you kind of understand, you know, more the language of Chinese medicine, you can move on to 10 key formula families in Chinese medicine by Huang Huang. Um, he really breaks it down into like, these are the ones you need to know about. So say that yes. title again, 10 so, key, 10 key formula families in Chinese medicine. So we'll make sure we have links to both those books on the yeah. website as well as yeah. our rally. We'll have a link there on the show notes. Rebecca, um, have you, are you familiar with the book, a, a web that has no weaver? Yes. How do you like that book? I didn't actually read it. I'm just familiar with it, but oh, okay. I've heard, yeah, I think it was on our, our reading list for, mm-hmm. uh, when I was going into Chinese medicine school, it was one of the recommended books. Okay. So, great. As was this one. And I just happened to yeah. go for this one, but awesome. yeah, I've heard I was things. just curious what your opinion was. Mm-hmm. Great. I was cool. given that book is because I kept saying, I don't understand TCM. And so someone said, well, you read this book, the web that has no weaver. Mm-hmm. 
Still I tried. I, tried. I, tried. <laughs> I got halfway through, like, I'm done. I like I said, a different beast. <laughs> Yeah, so. that's one of the ones that's on my list, and I will be getting to that soon. I did the other one. Um, I think it's called Between Two Worlds. I can't remember. It's no, another that one of the ones. Familiar. That, yeah, it's another. It's the one that if you have it, if they, if you, it's not Web that has no Weaver. It's the other mm. one. Like those are the two that mm-hmm. you know commoners read. <laughs> <laughs> and I read that. It made a ton of sense to me. So I was like, okay, I've got to do the next one now. And now I've got two more books. <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah, <laughs> so we'll be adding those. Um, I should add real quick uh, at the beginning of this podcast, we talked to you talked about Wendy, um, a seasoning mix. Gamachio. Gamachio. That's what it's called. Oh, All it's, right. It's a like word this. This is it. the one that I have. I'm looking at the, we just call it nori because we have mm-hmm. lots of Japanese seasonings and it's just a little nori sprinkle mix. Nori, fumi, furikake. Just the nori. So, but right. it's got the sesame seeds and seaweed. And the seaweed and, and, yes. Yeah. Oh. And I've seen it done with spicier. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes people oh, yes. put like little sugary or salty mm-hmm. kind of stuff in it. Yeah. This sounds like a yes. recipe Sue's going to write for the set. Right? <laughs> yeah. One that uses nettle. To do. Right. One that uses nettle. <laughs> I think that sounds really tasty. Yeah. Herbal I'll try it. Gamashi. Or maybe it's gamasio. 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 It's definitely spelled like Masio. <laughs> okay. All right. I have a big stack of questions. And they really all have one thing in common, and that is that there's a lot of diagnosis involved in them. Correct. There are things like, um, my husband has cerebral palsy. Do you have herbs that might help? Um, what about... If I have been diagnosed with with estrogen sensitive breast cancer, what herbs can I use? What do I need to avoid? Um, it's a variety of them. What is the best natural remedy for calluses on the feet? What is the best herb for balancing hormones? The list just goes on. I mean, it's it's a big stack, and I think these all of these really to me come down to the question of how do you know when it's time to go beyond just looking it up on Wikipedia, WebMed, yeah, <laughs> or WebMed. <laughs> I mean, how do you guys go about diagnosing and deciding, you know? Yeah, well, uh, from Chinese medicine, um, we we treat disease, but we treat disease through treating patterns. So um, I could see five people with cerebral palsy and give them different herbs because they might have a different underlying pattern for that disease. Um, it's the same with anything, you know, insomnia. I could have five people with insomnia, but one might, it might be related to the heart. And this is the Chinese medicine heart, not just the heart that mm-hmm. is beating <laughs> in charge of yes, cardiovascular <laughs> system. Um, so yeah, it really depends. That's why we say in Chinese medicine that it's a very indiv- individualized um, medicine because it, it really is, you know, it comes down to what each person is experiencing and yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's not really most of these questions. There's not actually a simple answer for it. Right. And it's not responsible for us to be just getting, here's this thing. Now, what do you throw at it? That's not responsible for us to certainly do on a podcast, not without talking mm-hmm. to the patient or find, there's a whole bunch of questions that we would need to ask the person because they are a lot of times they, they are, the pay, people are struggling with some symptoms, but we're not trying to mask symptoms in herbalism. No, we're trying to find the root cause yeah. and heal the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like at Occupy Medical, Wendy, we have people come in and they'll be the same uh, same day 
same thing that they're that they're struggling with, but we end up giving them very different herbs for that. Like anxiety mm-hmm. would be one of them. There's some that are really easy to throw at people, but mm-hmm. you know, um, I think we have a. What are some of the questions that you end up asking people? Um, well, so in herbalism, we don't. It's just like what Rebecca was saying. It's like, well, we don't treat um, diseases. We treat people mm-hmm. with diseases. And so, you know, anytime you're, it sounds like most of a lot of those questions were like chronic things that people were dealing with on a long-term basis. And, and the most effective way that I um, think to, uh, to help people who are dealing with those diseases is forget about their diagnosis for a second and address, address the foundations of health. Any, everyone needs the foundations of health addressed. And that's why they're called foundations because if you don't address those, you can't build on them more. And so the foundations include things. The, like- and the foundations of health are uh, adequate and quality sleep um, as, as a good nutritional status as possible. Um, a good digestion um, and good stress management. So any of those hmm? and hydration, right? Sure. Hydration. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, but, um, you know, that's where I start with every single person, whether they're dealing with a cold or, you know, cancer, you know, and you, you'll be amazed at how much you can help somebody just by, just by addressing those things. And so as far as, um, you know, when do you know if you, if you're, if you need help, more help? Well, I think it's kind of a process and I think it's highly individualized, but you know, I don't think we're even as like really experienced herbalists where none of us are ever, um, opposed to asking for help, asking other people's opinions. And I think that's, um, the most responsible and effective herbalists are always reaching out to other people, other herbalists, other practitioners and getting their opinions. And so don't ever be afraid to, to to do that. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'll say two other things. So, so for, I'll just give two general kind of, kind of guidelines for, for dealing with illnesses with herbs and what can you can expect. So for acute things like a sore throat or cold or something like that, or stomach ache or something. Um, I think that if you're using herbs for something like that, you should see some improvement within one to three days. I think that's fair if you're using the right herbs. And if you're not, if you're not seeing improvement, that means you need to reevaluate, reevaluate your ideas, talk to other people. Maybe you can still do it with herbs. Maybe you need to go to a higher level of care. But anyway, that's a, that's kind of a good rule of thumb for me personally. I feel like I should be able to see improvement from like a sore throat or a cold or something like that within that amount of time. And if not, I want to change it up a little bit or go to the doctor. And then for a chronic illness, like the um, general rule that I've, that I ascribe to you and that I've learned from a lot of other herbalists is that for every um, year of suffering with a chronic illness, one month of treatment is necessary to bring the body back into balance. So that's a long time. Right, right. So if you've had 
Like five if, years yeah, of having... Sure, if you've had rheumatoid arthritis for five years or whatever it is, yeah. you know, something for ulcerative colitis or something for five years, then fi- you just settle in for five months solid of working on this stuff. And where do you start? The foundations of health. But really, if you're dealing with a chronic illness like that, it's really super helpful if you're a lay person to get support from somebody who's been at it for a long time. It, yeah. it can be really, really helpful. That's something that we dealt with the clinic for a long time is because it's a free clinic. People can come back every single week. It doesn't matter if it's no charge. It's still free for everyone. And they'll they'll start with something. Well, I took the magnesium and I took the Hawthorne or whatever the things are for my high blood pressure. And it's a week later and I still have high blood pressure. And you're like, like, oh, a week. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great start. I'm glad to hear that you are still taking those things. Get used to that. Because you have to continue taking those things. How long have you had high blood pressure? Oh, five years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So let's just think to ourselves that this is a start and there's a whole a whole other thing that we want to also help you with. Sometimes we'll start people, for instance, that might be a little fragile with small things. These are tiny things that you can do to get used to the idea that you have to take care of yourself. And once they get used to the idea, they just have to take supplements then we can move on to the exercise part and mm-hmm. increase it a little bit at a time because they need to get their confidence mm-hmm. in themselves and and treating themselves because that's a new concept for a lot of folk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So most of us are familiar with what it looks like when you go to the doctor because mm-hmm. we've all, most of our listeners will have been to a doctor, you know, traditional scientific-based Western-style doctor. What does it look like when they see you, for instance, Wendy? What is it? Is uh-huh. it someone arrives or is a nurse practitioner and herbalist? What does that look like? Um, well, <laughs> right now it looks probably a little bit different than a, it will look when I actually when I'm actually a nurse practitioner. A nurse but practitioner. Um, right now, as an herbalist, it looks like um, you know I'll have someone. I'll sit at the kitchen table with someone or in the occupying medical bus with someone, and I'll just have them tell their story. Okay, so they're telling you about their medical history and what's going on with them, yep. and stuff in their lives, yep. that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, um, and a lot of times I found um, that's sometimes that's the most healing part of it because a lot of times I find I found that they've never gotten to tell their entire story. I'm sure it's the same for you sometimes because you mm-hmm. have a lot of make sure you have a lot of time with people, you know, but yeah, some, a lot of times people have never gotten to tell their entire story, their entire story of their health to somebody. And it's really powerful. That is a powerful piece of healing that herbalists, I think almost universally offer. Yeah. Yeah, it it is. It's really, it's an honor um, to hold that with people and hold that space with people. Um, And so then what I'll do is I'll, I'll, have them talk until they're done talking. And then I will, um, ask my questions, um, try to hit, um, foundations of health always get that information. And, um, then any pertinent questions regarding their specific health, um, thing. I always ask, um, I always do like a diet recall. I think super, super important. Um, specifically not, not just, are you eating a healthy diet? Like that's not like, sufficient. What did you, you gotta, eat this you, last week? Yeah. What, what did you, you eat? What today? do you usually eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? How, what's your sugar intake? What's your caffeine intake? What's your alcohol intake? What's your drug intake? How like, many meals a day are you many, eating? How many snacks are you eating? How yeah. many little cheater snacks are you eating? <laughs> yeah. You know, how many rewards do you get for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so after I've gotten all my info, um, 
Do you use diagnostic tools like doctors use stethoscopes and temperature gauges and blood pressure cuffs and things like that? Do you use those sorts of? Not, not usually. Okay. Not usually. I like to look at people's nails and their tongue. Okay. Um, I'm not like a real uh, clinical diagnoser with the tongue, but I think it's, you can, I can understand that people are highly inflamed if their tongue is like really bright red or um, if they've got like, uh, you know, yellow coating or white, really thick white stuff. Um, you know, there's, just, there are just things, you know, it's just yeah. helpful to see it's kind of like a window and then, um, and then their nails and their hair and their skin. And I kind of just, um, use those things. Yeah. Um, we're also I'm, spoiled because at the Occupy Medical bus, they've already been through triage. That's true. So they already have their blood pressure. They got exactly. all the stats taken care of. They've already seen yeah. a doctor. And I do like it. Like sometimes I will listen to people's songs because I, do, I am a nurse, and so I listen to people's songs all the time at work. Mm-hmm. So it can right. help me We're to, to that. do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but you but you know what? I feel like really like the, a person's history and their story gives you like ninety percent of what you need yeah. and the answers to the questions. And so then after I'm done with all of that, I will um, say goodbye and say thank you very much. And then I'll take my t- I take like two or three days because inevitably someone is coming to me because they've already been to a lot of other like doctors and they had, they haven't gotten help. And so usually it's something that I'm like, I know a lot of stuff, but I want to learn more about this particular thing and really make sure I understand everything that's going on. And then I'll put together a plan and get back together with the person. And this is not at Occupy. Right. This is my chronic chronic care stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I'll come back in two or three days with a plan for them Nice. And we'll talk about it and make sure we understand it and it's all written out and then we give it to them and then we'll meet back Makes in a like month or something mm-hmm. like yeah. that and see how it's going. Nice. And so then the, the that cares process, a lot faster. Yeah. The, the process <laughs> at Occupy Medical is much condensed from that. Right. Yes. Yeah. Occupy Medical is sort of a different animal altogether. Yeah. So. Yes. Yes, but a lot of those aspects of the initial diagnosis or not diagnosis, the initial um Consultation. Thank assessment. Mm-hmm. Assessment. Uh-huh. Thank you. Are similar for acupuncture and er- Chinese herbalism. Definitely. What yeah. does it look like when someone shows up at your clinic? Um, well, I, do, I have a similar situation where I, I do private treatments, um, but I also do uh, community setting treatments. So different, different situation mm-hmm. there. Um, in a private treatment, um, I spend about an hour and a half with my initial intake. Um, the first time I see someone. And what we do there is, you know, really depends on on what the issue is. But um, similar thing, I'll, I'll gather the person's story and really try to connect with them first through words and then um, through their body. So I'll feel their pulses. Um, I'll look at their tongues, um, maybe feel their abdomen, um, basically check in with their body to see what it can tell me. So there, you know, there are different ways that we speak and one of them is verbal and the other is just what is our body showing us. So, well, you've just been doing things like learning about face diagnosis, right? Yeah. yeah. Facial diagnosis is another thing we can look at. Um, so the body has lots of little hidden tools. To- yeah. Like all those wrinkles actually mean something and it isn't <laughs> yeah. just that you were laughing a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, the stories that our face can tell. Oh, well. I want to know more. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so fascinated. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, I think, like I said, the relationship is very important. So establishing, establishing that mm-hmm. patient practitioner relationship is key. Um, and a lot of that is just being a nice person. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So, you know, the simple stuff, the intuitive stuff, um, 
And yeah, I just go from there. I don't have a lot of um, interest in herbs, honestly, with what I do. Um, for whatever reason, I think there's a lot of stigma against herbs and uh, Chinese herbs in particular. I'm not sure if that's like a, I don't know what, like the, the mm-hmm. East is mysterious or something. But. but there's this weird separation that that happens like in, I think at least in you know, common Western thought is acupuncture is one thing. Chinese herbs is a different thing. Yes, like definitely. you would go to the doctor for doctor stuff and they might write your prescription, but you go to a whole different guy to get that prescription filled. Right. Like the pharmaceutical is completely different and separate. Well, it's like a, and they kind of a medical herbs. doctor and then a dentist uh, yeah. and then an eye doctor. Exactly. None yeah. of those belong to the same body. Right. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think that from the practitioner side, herbs and acupuncture are just like breathe in, breathe out. Right. Yeah. But from the patient side, they are like one is breathing and the other one is running or something completely different. Mm -hmm. Like they're two different things. Yeah. That's part of it for sure. Wow. Yeah, I definitely have a fair amount of, um, notice a fair amount of stigma because I do have a foot in the Western medical world too. Um, and I was at my immersion this weekend and, uh, we were practicing doing, um, and, and history and uh-huh. in a group setting. And one of the nurses was a patient and, you know, one of the group members, was role acting and said, so you've told us your medications. Do you take any, any herbs or anything like that? She said, no, I don't believe in that hocus pocus. And I had to just be yeah. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> good too bad for you, I guess. But <laughs> well, it always makes, that always makes me laugh too. Cause I'm like, okay, so you wouldn't put parsley in your food. That's yeah. what you're telling me. Azuki beans, you're going to avoid those, right? Yeah, clearly. Right. Are, there any, no effect. are there any like <laughs> natural foods that you eat? Because let's talk about it. It's a continuum. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's an educational moment on the other end. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you both for being with us. And um, how are we going to be contacting the both of you, Rebecca? You have a website. I do. It is uh, my name, .wordpress.com. My name is Rebecca Harburg, H-A-R-B-U-R-G, and there's a contact page on there. Um, And then I also have a Facebook page, Rebecca Harburg LAC. That's my credential. And uh, Wendy Hansel, you have people can contact you on Facebook as well. That'll do it. I also do have a a blog site that I don't really update, but I got a couple articles on there. If anyone wants to go and read them, it's um, it's also a WordPress site, and it's Herb Nurse. That's how I was first introduced yeah. to you. Yeah. Yes. The herb nurse. So yes. Someday, well, someday I will reinvigorate, reinvigorate that that lovely um, handle. Thank <laughs> you so Well, thank you both so very much for coming and helping us. Our stack is considerably smaller, and I'm appreciative. Thank you so much for having us. It was so fun. Thank you. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA. They're not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication. Or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem, any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.